Hey. Hey, Jonah. It's good to see you, man. Good to see you, Brad. You know, feels like eons. It's been a while. Me and Brad haven't hung in a while, so we're just catching up on all the stuff we've been up to. The grooviness. Summer's winding down here. For those of you who may be listening to this, I don't know, in the fall. Yeah. Maybe you're breaking out your, your spring jacket. You mean fall jacket? Fall jacket. Or I guess you could wear your spring jacket in the fall. It's the same temperature. Yeah, that's true. Um, Unless you want fall colors. If we release these next few podcasts in a row, every podcast I'm going to talk about how I'm jet lagged, so it's going to sound like I'm jet lagged for the next month. But I probably will be. You probably will be. So it's probably this is like kind of going to be still accurate. Yeah. But yeah, I feel crazy, so who knows what I'm going to say. I just it's got back It's funny because, Asia. you know, like, I mean, when I used to do those long tours... You know, you'd come back and you'd feel jet lag for a week anyway, you know, like you'd have this like tour lag, right? Right. Have you ever experienced that? Yes. And um, the craziest thing about tour lag for me was that, you know, whatever, you get off the road, you don't have to do anything, so you sleep until whenever, right? And then wake up at noon and kind of just like mope around and you're in that like haze of like, kind of like, like your jet lag. That's what I always felt like. And then all of a sudden, like, Every single night at nine o'clock, like a switch would go off and I'd be wide awake. Really? And it was because that was the time that you were like about to hit the stage or whatever, you know? Interesting. And it would happen for like a week after I'd get off the road. I would be, I would just be like completely in a, in a haze all day and then like, boom, just completely like totally alert and awake. And I think it's, I think it's ruined me for life because I'm like, I, th- I better, I'm a night person now, you know, like I think better at night and but I can't have to go to sleep at night now because I work and I have kids. La, la, la. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever think about performing? No. Again? No? I Not really. I would do it. I'll do something. Yeah. I just, I'm like so out of practice now. I'm embarrassed, you know? Last time I, like, I was up in Boston getting some guitars for the studio and in the guitar store kind of playing them to see how they play. And I was just like, fuck, man. I'm like so rusty. I'm that guy, that old guy. I still got all the nice gear. I've got so much nice gear just really? rotting away too. I was when I was in Tokyo. I actually forgot I, to tell you this. I went to there's like a Gibson showroom like there. Oh yeah, and it was like seven floors, and each there was like a Les Paul floor. There was like what? a like yes three thirty five like Semihalabai floor. There was an acoustic floor, and it was like. Inc- but it was so. I mean, every guitar there was like three to five thousand dollars. And it, but it was a. Was it by Gibson or was it every, like some kind of? It was by museum? Gibson. Everything there was Gibson. There was so, a couple. Do everything amps. so extreme in Japan. It was so wild, and they had they had all these like guitars that were new that were made to look old. Like they'd they be were stressed. Yeah, it was so like they'd have like <clears throat> dents in them. Fender did that for a minute. Yeah, and it was weird. It, it's real. I just like. I just can't imagine being, I want to spend five grand on a guitar that someone purposely like smashed with a hammer yeah, or something. It's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Because my friend was like, well, they've always guitars from the 50s. I was like, no, those are all brand new. They just like <laughs> say like 1955, whatever. But um, they had some cool stuff there. But yeah, it was, I've never, I mean, it was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Gibson guitars. Wow. It was cool. Um, Crazy. Yes. Uh What's also crazy is today's podcast guest. Oh, yeah. Speaking of rock and roll and Gibson guitars, man. Yes. Um, Andrew WK, I just just emailed him one day. I thought, I see him him around. He does a lot of stuff in New York. Um, And I thought maybe we could get him on the podcast. And it turns out that we could. Um, He was actually going to the... And did. And did. He was going to the airport, and he stopped here on the way. And uh, he was stuck in horrendous traffic. For like an hour or something, oh, trying to get right. here. Um, but he, he was kind of like number two to Fat Mike in terms of showing up. Yeah, late. yeah, he was he was stuck. It was really cool of him to to make time to come in here, and and he was actually in a pretty good mood. If it were me, and I had spent that much time in traffic, I would have just been not pleasant. You to wouldn't be around. have wanted to party all the time. No, but <laughs> well, that wasn't really his vibe either. I know. I kind of <laughs> wasn't sure what to expect, and this podcast is actually was like. Kind of dark and like he was, he's a super, super intelligent dude, but it was, um, yeah, it was much like, it was much different than I guess what I expected. It was the other side. It was the other side. And, um, Andrew WK also has his own podcast 
that's on the Blaze Radio Network, um, where he talks about a, kind of a lot of the same stuff. Like each episode has, like the most recent one now is called Passion and Nonsense. But he has, you know, ones like giving form to the formless, finding inner strength from physical pain, the primary levels of being human. A lot of the ideas he talked about on this podcast, which are maybe more like metaphysical or existential. So, um, yeah, this is a really, really cool conversation to be a part of. Um, so let's give it up and listen to Andrew W.K. First time I saw you, I used to work on the Warp Tour for Alternative Press. Oh, wow. Okay. And I remember you doing signings and staying for like five hours, like around that. I, you know, Jason Pettigrew was obviously like a huge. Okay. Would listen to your record on repeat for months and months and months. So that was that in 2003 then? I guess. When, when was I get what came out? That was probably around then. In the right? US, it came out in 2002. We did some Warp Tour shows that year and then we did the whole tour in 2003 okay this was probably oh three okay yeah that makes sense um but yeah i just remember you know you staying so long uh yeah well it was it was a situation where if you wanted to you could really spend your whole day and night out uh in the midst of the festival and really enjoy the opportunity to hang out with people i mean it would talk about a party that's the tone there it's a real festive atmosphere and there really wasn't that much else to do anyway, uh, at least for, for, for me in terms of what I felt was valuable. You can make the most of your time really going out and being there. And uh, I did the festival again in 2010, and it was a, a very similar situation. I mean, the, the, the audience, the folks that are attending, it, it feels very much like they're in the same mindset. They want to make the most of the day, especially considering that they most likely spend money to uh, get into the event. So it's a good place to... Uh, to to apply yourself yeah but i feel like it's a very different i feel like a lot of bands i was friends with would sort of be like all right we played it's hot outside i want to go on the bus play video games sit in air conditioning i mean have you ever had that it seems like you have this drive that it's kind of is kind of boundless or something have you always kind of felt that way like i want to do something constructive instead of just sitting around uh well, no, I mean, there's times for sitting around, absolutely. I, I think in those situations, it felt like a very precious opportunity. Um, and sometimes those those situations are very clear. I don't blame anyone for not, for, you know, for doing whatever they particularly feel compelled to do. Uh, there's certainly times when I feel like sitting, uh, even like right now, because it, 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 it makes sense. Um, it's, it's, it's the proper use of your body for what, tasks lay at hand and at that time the task seemed like uh you're here to to uh to talk with people that want to speak with you you know if there was no one there it really wouldn't have made sense to maybe be outside all day and i I really don't care for getting sunburned so that necessarily uh you know after hours when it was darker that made a lot better trying to find shade that was always very important to me uh fortunately there was tents usually some kind of tenting uh, but yes, it was a very brutal atmosphere physically, but actually the way it was best withstood was sort of engaging in things that would take your mind off how maybe physically uncomfortable the atmosphere was. And I guess, again, I, I didn't really feel like, uh, I don't really know what the, there was a lot of other things you could do with your time, not just playing video games, which is, you know, always pretty fun, but you could just hang out with other folks back there, but um it just seemed to me like this very precious opportunity to to talk to people. Uh, so that's just what I did. I don't know. It was never really a, a feeling of being driven in particular. It felt like something was telling me to do that. So I just followed it. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think it's really cool. And I remember all the messages were kind of personalized. Like it wasn't just like, best, Andrew WK. I tried, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a give and take with all that too. Because, of course, if someone's waiting f- to meet you, or waiting to take a photo with you, which is more common now than it was uh, back then with the rise of camera phones. Um, or if someone wants an autograph, uh, I also felt a little bit bad sometimes because I would take so much time with each person that you'd end up waiting for four hours uh, to meet me perhaps when it could otherwise maybe just take four minutes. 
But that's the trade-off. So uh, over the years, I've done different things. Sometimes I, I've tried to move faster because you know it, it also pains me to keep people waiting or to even just see them walk away because they don't feel like waiting that long. So it's a bit of a trade. I mean, maybe someone gets a personalized letter, if, uh, but then they have to wait 10 times as long. So yeah. it's, it's one or the other. The, the, the point is to, again, just try to get some kind of uh, value some kind of good feeling from the day. And what's interesting now is that I find going compared to back then in terms of a valuable interaction between two people, it seems like actually even on the computer now, what used to be uh, achieved only through actually meeting someone and talking with them for maybe 20 minutes and writing them a letter can actually be achieved now in five seconds on the computer, like through a, a, a tweet or a, a comment or a mention. And I've actually experienced this myself from getting people that I really admired that would, that I would have given anything to meet uh, and never have to actually have them write something to me on the computer. And it almost was more special in a way because they chose to do it. It wasn't a formal setting like uh, an autograph signing or something. And I had this memento as well on the computer that everyone else could see instantaneously. Like when Pee Wee Herman uh, posted about this pizza guitar I made, that was one of the high points of my life. And I was so struck by how even for me, it counted just as much in a way or even more than shaking his hand or having him write me a letter or some typical meeting that I would have considered very valuable maybe 15 years ago. It was very interesting that this new version of interaction, as much as people have complained about it and saying that the computer doesn't count, it's not a real connection with people, it absolutely is. It's just different. You know, It's a different way of interacting that is in some ways even more rich or involves uh, elements that these other kinds of interactions such as face-to-face or the telephone or writing a letter that that they don't necessarily touch. Meaning every kind of interaction is valuable in its own way. No, that definitely makes sense. I mean, it's crazy just, I guess, how accessible everyone is and connected in a way, I guess. Yes, in a different new way. And it could be people are more accessible and it could be that we're more connected and some would argue that it's the opposite. Right. It seems to me that it's a perpetual level of connectivity. And if you go way back before there was really any technology or even any means to travel great distances, there may have been a different version of connectivity that we can't even really imagine right now. Someone could say it was sort of like a psychic or a, you know, a, a collective consciousness that maybe we're sort of re- replicating through something like the computer. And this is an area that gets a bit uh, esoteric or a, a bit hard to pin down and people can easily scoff at it. But I think that as a species, we're constantly exploring the same inherent connection that's always been there. And we're finding different ways to recognize it, essentially. And something like, you know, the telegraph was a huge uh, breakthrough, but it really maybe only confirmed what was there all along. Uh, and so I'd like to think that all these things are sort of a perpetual connection that we're only maybe re- revealing to ourselves through these different technologies. Yeah, I feel for me personally, I've felt most connected to people through like if I do a group meditation or oh, if wow. I do like a group a psychedelic experience. To me, I can really feel people's energy in that state. Well, that's a great example. That's yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, it seems. Maybe that's always there, but it's 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 more intangible. It's less material, so it's hard for many of us to have faith in that. Um, but maybe I, again, it, these more tangible versions of communication are just sort of confirming this inherent bond that we all have, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I heard someone recently talking about, like, complaining about how, like, hoverboards don't exist and all this technology we thought we would have by now. And it does seem like all the, a lot of the technological innovations are stuff like Instagram and Twitter and these things that ultimately are just people trying to connect with other humans, which is interesting. It is. It is. It absolutely is. Another thing that maybe in in the midst of all those developments rather than it taking what we might call the more basic forms of communication and, and, and setting them aside, it seems like it actually adds 
more appreciation of those. Almost like absence makes the heart grow fonder. All of a sudden, if you're constantly on the computer all day and interacting that way, it can be quite striking to have a face-to-face interaction or to even just look at another person after looking at the screen. And why, and, and immediately, initially, it may seem kind of uh, upsetting or distorting, or, or like it, it, it's it's somehow distancing you from people. But maybe again, it's just adding more texture. It's like more flavors. If you've only been eating chocolate ice cream, and then all of a sudden you have rainbow sherbet, it's going to be very striking. And it doesn't mean that you don't like chocolate ice cream anymore. It just means like, wow, there's there really are many flavors of this amazing thing called ice cream. So there's many flavors of communication, really. But it's also like, I feel like it's also like maybe there's like that thing sitting in the back of your fridge, like, you know, an ex-girlfriend or something where it's like, there's almost like never any closure because you can always be like, I wonder what this person's up to. Whereas before it's like when Mm. someone's kind of out of your life, you move on. It's kind of like, okay, I don't know what's happening with that person. Covered in mold. (laughs) Yeah, covered in mold. You know you need to get rid of it, but you can't throw it away for some reason. Slimy. Well, again, (laughs) I mean, that's a very good example. Maybe... But see, I was just actually just thinking about that on, on this extremely long drive over here, which are the kinds of things that it seems one tends to think about when in transit. There's something about that space. I've been thinking about that quite a bit just due to all this travel. But it's a unique space when you're moving because you're not one place or the other. You're in transit. You're in this space called transit, which is about not being anywhere. There's an interesting philosophical concept that I had never even imagined before, and I can't remember the name of the philosopher who was thinking about this, but they were basically saying that motion is impossible, which is a concept that has been explored quite a bit. But his reasoning was because in order for something to move, it it has to go from one place and be in another place. But in order for it to to be <laughs> to not be in one place, it has to be in another place. So it can never not be where it is. And in that way, it can't ever really be moving because it's always somewhere. I, so I guess it's sort of uh, you can't break down its position uh, to small enough increments that it's not ultimately located in any one one place. And in order for it to move, it can't be located there. I actually just confused myself trying to explain that very poorly. <laughs> But going back to the ex-girlfriend thing, it's like those things are always there. And actually, I was wondering that. Would I think back to these people that maybe you try to find or look up? I mean, in the old days, you would, I would probably ask friends about them or ask people that I thought might know, like, hey, what's that person up to? Or look in the phone book. I mean, that was something that I, I did used to do to see, oh, are they still at that same address or do they still uh, you know, have the same phone number or try calling them, prank calling them, or you drive by their house to see if you see some remnant or at their, the place they used to work? Is it more typical now to keep those, uh, those people in mind because you have this perpetual access to checking up on them? I don't know. That's a really good question. It seems like those parts of your life stay there either way. Yeah, I think that's true. And I always, sometimes if I look someone up and I can't find anything about them, I'm sort of like envious in a way. I'm like, I feel like I'm always throwing myself out there, like promoting this, promoting that. Like that's an amazing existence to sort of like not have that, that trace. I mean, I guess it's not good or bad, but it's it's a choice. Probably. yeah. Yeah. I have a few people. I wouldn't necessarily even call them friends because I've I've been able una, unable to keep up with them, but I've thought of them and then tried to find them, and it's clear that they're making an effort to be unfindable, which is which is interesting. Yeah, which I think is just going to get more diff. Like it seems to me with all this technology, this kind of privacy is the kind of thing that that kind of disappears more and more. Whereas eventually, I think everyone's just going to know everything about each other. Yeah, maybe or. Because, again, absence makes the heart grow fonder, maybe this idea of privacy will be this more important thing because we never really thought about it on this level before. And once it's threatened or once it seems completely impossible to attain it, then it becomes very valuable and very precious and almost like a luxury that will be then sought after uh, with more vigor than ever before. I I could see – it's hard to imagine maybe folks that – are coming up or growing up now that don't even know that there ha- was ever another way, but it might even occur to them that, oh, wow, just a few years ago, 
you didn't have to do this or life didn't have to sort of revolve around these core principles of presence you know they might just it might be a whole movement that, that this is just a phase it's very possible there's really no way to know because it's happened so quickly in the last 10 years just even the last five years it, it, to the degree where i didn't even realize that something like youtube it seems like oh yeah it must have been around for 20 years it's only been around for a handful of years barely 10 years uh i mean maybe not even 10 years i can't even believe that so these they they yet yeah, it feels completely second nature and so integral that it's hard to imagine a world without it but we realize that it really has very little to do with the world as far as what really matters and that's not as an insult but it's just saying that these things are transient and maybe the core version of experience of of being alive or as a person will come and go and that uh i guess there was technologies that were around 10 years ago that aren't anymore um or that didn't maybe reveal themselves to be as important as we thought they would be and people could could take or leave them you know yeah definitely and i think what you're saying is totally true and i feel like it's there has already been like a little bit of a backlash like i have some friends who've switched to flip phones and stuff and they're just like i don't want this thing i don't want to stare at this thing all day like you know it's like the worst when you go to a show and the guy's guy's arm in front of you the whole time with the phone like you can't see anything like i do think like the etiquette's still being figured out and a lot of people are sort of trying to opt out to the extent that you can they're choosing, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're, we're we're figuring out what we really like, and the only way to figure it out is to actually go through it and try these different things. I mean, e- even something as simple as like a game like Candy Crush. I was hearing about this game. I like candy very, very much, especially those hard candies. Uh, in that very appealing aesthetic way, even if you're not eating them, who doesn't want to sort of look at candy and think about candy and this jellies and all that stuff? And I was hearing about this Candy Crush, so I I got the game. And I played it, and when I once I realized actually maybe after a few weeks that the game didn't really change no matter how high up on these levels you got, that made it harder for me to stay engaged. Uh, but then I also realized I don't really want to be playing it that much more. Um, and so I made a choice not to, but I did have to delete it off the phone and, and decide that I didn't want to keep playing Candy Crush. And that's something that you can decide at, at any time. And it's almost empowering. However, I, I had to at least experience it. So there's no shame. In, and you can always get it again. You can always go back and play Candy Crush. And even if you don't, it doesn't mean you don't have to like candy. Or or Crush. <laughs> or Crushing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's all experience, and that's the only way we can figure these things out is by, by going through them and, and, and grappling with them ourselves. Can't make laws that tell people how to use their time or what to value. We have These things have to emerge from within us. Definitely. I mean, I want to talk about partying a little bit because um, obviously that's, that's sort of a big – a big part of sort of your life and sort of your ideology i would i would say and i feel like on paper it sounds maybe like not superficial but maybe just uh, maybe uh just i don't know like not very intellectual or something but i feel like when you get deeper into kind of what you're talking about it's like a very philosophical very kind of like zen it's it's really d- runs very deep i mean how how does that sort of inform your life i guess or how how do you sort of feel about that well, partying is, for me, something that can be very shallow or very deep, uh, depending on really what you want it to be for you at that moment or how you want to think about it. But it's, it is it is sort of synonymous with life, and that life is a very simple concept in one way, uh, perhaps the most primary concept, at least, the most elemental, and yet it's still the most impenetrable, and we don't even really know what it is or how it is or why it is. So a lot of these ideas that are very appealing in their purity can be quite confounding. Um, but with partying, it's, it's, it's not quite so confusing, fortunately, because it's just about uh, enjoying and celebrating and really sort of worshipfully celebrating this entire experience of uh, being alive at all. So in that way, it can, it can be, 
you know, very much like celebration in uh, the traditional sense that we might celebrate the weekend or New Year's or a birthday, uh, anything that we're particularly grateful for, we're taking notice of in a, a respectful but revelatory way. Um, and then uh, also, if you feel glad, or not even glad, but if you're engaged in being aware of and thankful for existing at all, then you have this this mindset at all times. You're partying and celebrating that you get to exist and figure it out as you go. So that that was just a, a way that I initially started trying to cheer myself up uh, as one who's struggled with really bad feelings, uh, pretty much for as long as I can remember, and just decided that uh, I wanted to try to not feel that way or try to feel better. So I, I thought well, the most fun thing I could think of doing that or the most fun concept, the most fun activity was this activity of partying that everyone, I guess, could interpret in their own way. But at the core, it was something you felt enjoyed doing. Even people who don't like partying understand that, that the concept, at least, is to be something enjoyable. And it's certainly a broad enough concept that even people who, who, who think they don't like partying actually can like it very much. And it just depends how they define it. So, you know, not partying can count as partying as long as you enjoy it. And so I just got uh, into that as a mo- uh, method to cheer myself up, a mode to be in that made me feel better about life. And hopefully that uh, other people that maybe wanted or could relate to some of these same bad feelings would be able to have uh, some kind of uh, useful uh, application of their own life too. I mean, did it did it take some time for that to kind of cheer you up i mean was it because i feel like it's harder than it seems i feel like it's so easy to be like oh i have to do this thing i don't want to do i have to do this like it's hard i feel like you can get bogged down in negativity so easily well that's a very good question uh doing things you don't feel like doing is a very vast area because uh in one way most of life can easily become based around doing what you don't feel like doing and yet well the way i've heard it said best let me just cut to the chase is that the uh i don't want to say the wise person but perhaps the 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 ideal human the ideal person is able to enjoy the things the less ideal person has to do so if you're really partying you're enjoying doing what you have to do anyway and not resenting it, not finding it to be boring, not finding it to be exhausting, not finding it to be uh, a bother or an inconvenience or what you don't want to do. You figure out a way to make the thing that you should do the thing that you actually enjoy doing and you find uh, a great pleasure in knowing that you're doing what you were meant to do. Now, it's hard to exactly figure out what you're meant to do but if you sort of uh, can release the need to do what you want, then usually what you should be doing kind of takes over. And if they can match up, then again, you're really in a, a good situation. That's sort of the ideal case is that what you want to do is what you should do anyway. Yeah. When I think you're a great example of that, I mean, especially even coming over here, like you could be stuck in traffic being like, oh, this is awful. Or you could be having this kind of philosophical kind of thoughts or whatever figuring stuff out which it seems like you sort of did well being stuck in traffic there's very little i could do about it so that's like you know what are you gonna do i could have left a lot earlier and that that is what i've learned with things like that i should have left two hours early because what would be the worst case scenario i get here an hour early you know uh that's better than being an hour late so i take responsibility for that and i I do apologize again uh although you've been very gracious and i do appreciate that but there are little things you can do. I mean, for I, I did realize only quite recently that one of the sh- most surefire ways to get in a bad mood for me to feel bad was to be in, in, a, in stressed out. And one of the most surefire ways to get stressed out was running late. That when I didn't feel I had enough time, whether it was time to get somewhere and travel, whether it was time to finish something, uh, to meet a, a due date, whether it was time to uh, adequately prepare or to work at a level of quality that I uh, otherwise would want to do. When there wasn't enough time and it was almost always my fault that there wasn't enough time from poor planning, you know, lack of 
sort of discipline, things like that. It made me feel horrible and it made everything else uh, affected negatively by that bad mood. So, but it was the easiest thing. Just leave earlier, give myself more time, not allow a deadline to, 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 to creep up like that or, you know, extend the deadline in advance so that there's no stress. Because it really was such a, it's satisfying actually when it's that clear, when you can say, okay, well, here's a really easy thing to do. Sometimes you don't have control over circumstances like that. But that is one area I feel like a lot of us, or a lot of my friends at least, and I, we really are to blame. And we like to think that maybe it wasn't our fault, but if we're real honest, even if it's not very fun to take blame for it, you can see like, well, there's an area that it's really easy if I'm going to the airport, I'll, I'll even leave four hours early and maybe I'm sitting around the airport, but it, it, it otherwise it could be the, one of the worst days of my life, missing a flight. Who knows what's going to happen? Just being in that stressful mind. And then even if I am running late and it's not my fault, there's nothing I can do. Right. And maybe, you know, there's all kinds of games you can play. Like you weren't meant to get on that flight. That flight was going to be the one that crashed or who knows what divine force it may be is guarding you. So you can say, all oh, these this is the will of the universe that I'm not meant to to arrive there on time. Now, that can be a slippery slope as well. But in a way, it's very rational to think that way if it relieves that stress when there's nothing you can do about it anyway. No, that's a great advice. I feel like the one I struggle with the most that I've had to really work on is that I can't control other people. Like, especially, you know, like I'm sure you know, I'm, I'm in a band too. It's like doing collaborative projects is great or trying to even get dinner with a friend. But it's like someone flakes out or something happens i used to get so mad and then now i have to be like listen you can't you can't you can but moving forward you can be like i'm not going to repeat these same steps i guess or try to do this over and over or yeah and or do it to someone else yeah exactly that's that's sometimes the only thing you can take away from a disappointment with someone else is well i will be even more vigilant now well first i always assume I probably have done that thing, and I usually have. So I'll look back, and I can't believe this person did that. And then I'll think, well, okay, I've done this exact thing probably pretty recently, which is why I'm able to identify them doing it and point blame so quickly. And that happens a lot traveling, too. I don't know. I guess just because I've been traveling. But these are these spaces I see these things play out. Um, well, I'll see someone being impatient, for example, going through a security line and rolling their eyes and being exasperated. No, it... And I'll think, oh, this person's being such a jerk. You know, they look like such a uh, an impatient person. Uh, and then I think, wow, I've done this exact thing actually yesterday when I was when I was in line. And here I feel so high and mighty, like I've become so advanced. When in fact, I the only reason I'm even noticing this person doing this is because I myself have done it. And then the best thing to do is just say, wow, I really have to never do that again because now I'm seeing what I look like. I'm seeing myself and it is completely horrifying and embarrassing. So that's can be very helpful. And, and, you know, worst case too, when other people let you down or, or, or you're disappointed, it's, you can sort of take that same lateness approach that what could I have done to avoid this? Is there anything I could have done? I mean, it's not like you want to lose faith in people, but I guess the easiest way I thought of it was I'm going to be a lot more hard on myself and cut a lot of every, everybody else a lot more slack. Because they probably deserve it, and I probably could be a lot more disciplined. Yeah, that's that's so. I, but I've had that exact same thing. I've realized, yeah, when people really annoy me, if there's like a trait or something, it's always something that I see in myself that I can't admit, and it's that's the thing. That's why it, it's so irritating. It's, it's exactly right, and and again, a way that all these situations are made much less painful is when you can extract something useful out of them, even if. You know, again, like you missed a flight, it becomes almost this uh, game of, okay, well, what can I get out of this? What can I learn from this? How can I use this in some constructive way? Because there's can't be any situation or any circumstance, whether we're responsible for it or not, that is uh, completely void of value. And some could argue that there are certain situations that have no value. I have yet to encounter one in my own life or in anything else I've seen. They all are in some way here to challenge us, make us grow in some form or another, even the most painful ones. It doesn't mean you want them to happen, but it means that if they do, the best thing that we can do is try to extract some kind of goodness out of them, which may be the whole point of, of living anyway.
Definitely. And I think having that kind of perspective is so important, too, because when, for example, you're about to miss a flight or you miss a flight, it seems like the end of the world. Like you're trying to get there and you're like, this is the only thing in the world that matters. Whereas like, you'll get there, like you'll take the next one. Like it's, you know, like life, you know, like you'll never think about this again. But in the moment, it's so easy to get so wrapped up in that. It's true. It's absolutely true. And it's very humbling to realize how susceptible you are to your own emotions or to circumstances like that. And and you don't blame anyone because you care. You know, you care about making your flight. You care about whatever that flight was taking you to to go do. So it's not about shirking responsibility or having this, oh, who cares, whatever, whatever. It's just about picking and choosing what to spend your energy on. So again, like you can spend that energy freaking out, which I've done many, many times, or you can spend that energy actually trying to not freak out, which is a very noble effort, trying to discipline your emotions, letting them be felt, examining them. Oh, wow, I feel this kind of panic right now. Almost like you're watching yourself, like you'd watch that guy freaking out and cringe at this, oh, this guy's being such a jerk. He's stressing out. He's rolling his eyes. He's so irritated. He's so impatient. You're really watching yourself. Uh, I mean, there's even that idea that every other person is you, you know, just in a different outward skin, you know, that they're a different version of yourself. And that's why you are so affected by other people's behavior, because it's just you. It's not even your brother. It's just you. Uh, it's quite terrifying, actually, but it makes sense in a way that why, why it's so visceral when we encounter others and why they have so much power over us is because it's ourselves. But either way, there is something to be gained from all that. And, and sometimes just the game, and I say it as a game because a game makes it seem a little bit more, not necessarily even fun, but that it's, it, it puts these things in a different uh, perspective. Because uh, we play games because there's something enjoyable about it. So even when they're they're stressful, the the stakes are high, or like a movie. You know what what's a good movie without some ups and downs and some some conflicts and some resolutions? So if we can approach these things and step back and almost watch ourselves going through them as we would watch someone else going through them. Then you can have that moment to 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 pull back just enough to try to control your emotions or to try to at least control your reaction. To, to your emotions and it doesn't mean that it, it didn't matter that you missed the flight it just meant well what can i really do now that's constructive and it's true it's strange because nine times out of ten it seems as though it really didn't matter that much it's, it's odd almost how it happens where i missed some interview the other day that i was very upset about and very stressed out about having missed it and then it turned out uh, later, after I apologized and they accepted my apology and they were very gracious, they said, oh, you know, it's funny because we actually wouldn't have been able to even run the segment. There was a technical problem. And it, even if we had done the interview, it never would have been able to be used that day. And I thought, well, this is just, you know, good thing I didn't completely freak out, you know, and, and, and have a meltdown or something like that. So all of these things are trying to tell us that uh, there's a better way to be. You know, develop that composure. And it's not a detachment. It's actually a deeper, it's a deeper involvement because you're not separated from your experiences by panic and freaking out and all these distracting emotions. You're able to actually be more present and more yourself because you're calm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I had the same thing last night. I heard someone, I saw a concert and someone went up to one of my friends was like, dude, I just finished my album, turned it in and I realized I stole one of the lines from you. And this was a line. And the guy was like, oh, I took that from Daniel Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, how, how, how brave of the guy to, uh, how good of him to even fess up to that. Yeah. And you could tell he felt awful. And then it's like he said it. And the guy was like, oh, don't worry about it. I, I, t I borrowed that from someone else. Like, no big deal. That's a lot of uh, integrity to yeah. admit those things. I've think, been thinking about that a lot, too. There's this mindset I encounter quite a bit with people I sometimes work with that they pride themselves on sort of figuring out ways to, to get around the rules or it's not even the rules. There's really no, it's like the rules of, of, of life and that by cutting a corner here, it's almost like someone who races up to, you've seen this in traffic. This is another place I, I, I find a lot of these ideas and thoughts come out like dealing with traffic 
driving, which isn't something that you necessarily have to do so much here, but you still experience it almost, you can watch it more closely because you're a passenger more often than the driver in a city like this. But something about cars, there's this distancing effect, this dehumanizing effect that the car itself has. And we interact in this very bizarre way that you would never interact on a sidewalk or if you were face to face with people, there's something, this car completely changes the dynamic, usually for the worse. It's quite alarming and deserves a lot of investigation but one thing you notice is is you have, especially in the city people racing to get to a stoplight as though somehow getting there five five seconds i didn't even say like one fifth of a second to that next stoplight which where you cannot proceed anyway that they've somehow mastered some little quirk uh, that, that that will allow them to get ahead at the expense of everyone else. I mean, it doesn't even allow them to get ahead. If, let's say, that extremely aggressive and patient driving style actually did get them to the destination, let's say, even five minutes early, you could say, okay, well, it's still not the greatest vibe, but at least they really did get there. They don't even get there any sooner. So what is the mindset that's that's looking for ways to sort of cheat and it's not even the system, cheat the system of, of, of life to get where, to do what with, to, to, to get, to get some other place at the same amount of time as someone else in the end, but with much more struggle and drama on the way there, I kind of lost where I was going with it, but it seemed like it was going to be something pretty interesting, I guess. No, I think that is really interesting though, because I, that's something I've been working on as well as I think I read a David Foster Wallace essay about this or something, but yes, if I'm late, I see people. Other people is just obstacles. Right. There's things in my way. This person's too slow. And if I stop and I'm like, nope, these are all other people doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm not more important. I'm not less important. It really, for some reason, makes makes me relax. But it's, yeah, for some reason, travel really seems to bring out the worst in people. It bring, It's this different state of being. Why it, is that? I, I don't know. It's something mystical. I think it has to do with being, again, this idea of not being one place or another. I think it has to do with crossing boundaries. I think it has to do with these liminal areas, these no man's lands, you know, these zones that aren't a pl- like what is an airport? You don't say that's a city. You don't say it's even a location the same way as other locations are. Yet it's the destination that has more people converging at it than almost any. It's a port, right? It's a place. It's a transporting, a uh, transportive area. But it's a very bizarre, mysterious phenomenon and yet we're doing it all the time in sometimes very drastic ways like traveling great distances or traveling a lot and sometimes very infrequently i've noticed with people like my parents they don't travel that often or my mom for example and just going to the restaurant or something in town will be like a huge undertaking and i don't mean that she would probably laugh about this Herself, I mean, even with me, she's like, "Do you have this? You have that? Where are we going to park? Yeah, are you prepared for this?" I said, "Mom, I just traveled from Brazil, <laughs> you know, over the last two days. The, the, this is not a big, a big deal, <laughs> and yet it is. It is. I mean, it, it might as well be going to Brazil, going to the restaurant because we're leaving the house. Like we're 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 moving out of security. We're moving out of a familiar area. Who knows what's going to happen on the way? Who knows what's going to be at this restaurant? It must have something to do with the unknown." Uh, and what you hope is that your place of familiarity isn't necessarily where you live, isn't your house, isn't your friends, isn't the car, isn't your family, isn't your job. Your place of home is you. You know, it's inside yourself. So that wherever you go, you're actually at home because you're there. And then you find refuge sort of in your own existence that allows you to go all these places and still feel relatively secure, relatively comfortable because you're there. And even when you're in your home, you're still in you before you're in your home. You know what I mean? Uh, what was I saying about travel? Oh, yeah, travel. Well, driving, another thing with that driving thing, when you're seeing someone else race, because this is the, the, once these games begin and you decide to start playing these games of trying to become a better person, right? The first thing that happens, which is so humiliating, is you start to, well, at least for me, think, ah, look at this. I finally like figured this all out. I'm so much better, and the only thing you care about is not essentially becoming better than yourself or than you were. Is it's better than the other people? Look at this guy trying to race up to this stoplight. Ha ha ha! You know, I've really figured it out. 
And one, that's just very pathetic and very embarrassing when you realize, catch yourself doing that, that the whole reason you actually you wanted to improve wasn't actually to become better than you for this, the, the real noble reason, but was just to feel better than other people, feel more enlightened, feel more involved. I'm, I'm, I'm more thoughtful. I'm more intelligent. And then you realize like, well, maybe that guy is racing because, you know, his wife's having a baby or something like that. Maybe he has a very good reason for driving completely crazy or like a jerk, you know, and you immediately assume, oh, it's because he's not as enlightened as, as I am. You know, he's impatient. He's a bad person. All those things are just as, you, you know, you move up one level and then you move two levels down. It's like one step forward, two steps back. So it's a very, uh, you have to stay very vigilant. It's a type of discipline that is, it, it's beyond exhausting. And it's, a, I, I believe it's a lifelong pursuit. And I'm very skeptical of anyone who says they have attained uh, sort of a perfected state. There probably have been people throughout history, but you could probably count them on one hand in terms of human civilization who have been able to figure out how to really be a human being. But that's okay because it might be the pursuit of those uh, qualities that it's even more valuable than attaining them. Definitely. I mean, did you have sort of like a turning point in your own life where you kind of got into maybe self-improvement or sort of these ideas? Like, or have you always been this way or you... Did something kind of happen where you were like, I want to get things together or I'm interested in kind of pursuing these higher levels or how did, what was your kind of personal journey like? It was pretty perpetual and still is. Uh, I think there were major moments that had bigger impacts than a lot of the smaller ones, but they all add up. It was never, I, I've heard of people and talked to some people that it was all one, happened one day and they can remember the, the hour and the minute that everything changed. But uh, for better or worse, it hasn't been like that for me. It's been an uh, ongoing interest. I, I, you know, certainly moving to New York City when I was 18 was a big moment that changed things where it was very disillusioning. A lot of the things I thought would be most exciting about moving here, I realized were just sort of tantalizing lures to get me to move here. And then once I was here, they had nothing to do. Like all the jobs I thought were going to be so great, all the things that were going to be so special about living here that nowhere else had, they all faded away within a matter of days, if not even minutes upon arriving. Things uh, things that were oftentimes very upsetting, like getting mugged, that was a very intense experience. Certain drug experiences, certain romantic experiences. But most of them are just uh, these very small signs that usually come from within yourself but are confirmed in some seemingly outward way that you can think about these things that in fact maybe instead of them just being sort of novel ways to pass the time maybe these kinds of thoughts should take front and center stage in your life and that maybe everything else is secondary or everything else is informing this Meaning, rather than pursuing certain types of, uh, you know, let's say material achievement, maybe all material achievement, meaning making money or, you know, certain ambitions, maybe all those are just actually ways to set up the real ambition, which is to try to become a nicer person. It never occurred to me, you know, that's something that's only I've been thinking about just the last couple of months, that the most important thing that you could ever do is try to become less mean. You know, but I hadn't thought that before. Did, was there some major one moment? No, it's been, it's, it's almost sort of like you remember like, oh yeah, that's how I used to think when I was six years old. I guess I was right back then. Or, oh yeah, that's what that guy said that I always just ignored and thought he was, you know, being a hippy dippy kind of attitude when he was saying, oh, well, you know, love is God. Wow. And now I actually understand what that means. It's like a, these things reveal themselves to you over your whole lifetime. And then even when you're on your deathbed, you'll probably... Be like, wow, I was still wrong the entire time. <laughs> this isn't what anything was about. And then there you go. And you cross over into some uh, other place. It's so interesting that you say that because uh, I just recently, my sister found a video of me being interviewed as a five-year-old um, where I'm like, what's your name? What's your address? And what what do you like to do? <laughs> it's great. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I go, I haven't decided yet. Um, but my mom's like, what do you like? And I'm like, oh, I like drawing, riding my bike. And I was watching it and I was like, I should get a bike. I should start drawing again. Like, this is all this stuff. Oh, wow. That's me. And that's the stuff that, and I'm, 
before I had any problems or, and I was like, and that's the stuff that makes me happy. That's stuff I should be doing now. So I like, I'm buying a bike now. Like I'm trying to like, it was really blew my mind. That sounds very powerful. Yeah. That reminds me of the Bruce Willis movie, The Kid, where it's actually a great, a great illustration of that truth, losing track of oneself in the distractions of circumstance. And that the purity of the child, which seems so naive, which seems so uneducated, doesn't know how the real world works, all this, is actually, you know, the real you or the most noble version of you before you've learned how the world is. I mean, and that was one thing I remember moving to New York. Everyone's saying, oh, you're so naive. You'll see how the world really is, which was all supposed to mean that all these things that you want to do are impossible. Everything sucks. You should just constantly argue about everything. Uh, and actually, it made me very determined to to, to almost uh, oppose all those kinds of ideas because people were so, I guess, rude in their assumption that that I would have to shatter my own uh, idealism in, the, in, the, in order to, to even exist here. But in the kid movie with Bruce Willis, he, the, the, the child version of him, who's about, I'd say, maybe seven, great actor who plays the role. I can't remember who it is, but you recognize him. He somehow time travels, and he's completely, <laughs> completely, this young kid version of Bruce Willis is completely horrified at Bruce Willis, his adult self completely dismayed and he can't even believe that he doesn't have a dog that's like the most shocking thing to him <laughs> so you don't i don't have a dog you know all the things that are uh, pr- of priority to bruce willis's adult character are baffling to this <laughs> child character and bruce willis is a pretty despicable guy completely inverted priorities about what life should be about and it's of course mostly about making money uh, by whatever means necessary, no matter uh, who gets stepped over or even to his own detriment. And uh, it's very powerful. These, these, these types of, uh, I don't know, uh, what's the right word? Like the initiation of a, of a person into a better version of themselves is, is played out in a lot of great Hollywood movies uh, and that you wouldn't necessarily know. And it's always very impressive one, when a movie has been, is able to address these timeless but very subtle themes in a very opaque yet transparent way, but a way that doesn't turn anybody off, just seems like, oh, what a great concept, what a great story. But then you realize this is one of the sort of elemental truths of human development and they're displaying it like in Groundhog Day. Uh, it's another amazing movie about sort of reincarnation and man's perfection through ordeals and through self-actualization. But otherwise, just this great comedy of Bill Murray having to live the same day over and over again with the beautiful Annie McDowell. But you realize that through him having to relive every day, he has to really become a better person. Not because to get anything, actually. Once he even stops trying to attain and try to get Annie McDowell is when he gets, when he does it. Once he finally just lets go... And all the things he he was doing to get something, uh, he goes through everything. He goes through you know eating as much food as he wants. He commits suicide. He ends up helping people. He learns all these skills, but he helps people to try for some reason, you know, to better himself. At times, he gets completely disillusioned with the whole thing, and then he reaches some kind of uh, state beyond all that, probably through exhaustion, where he just is a better person. And then he gets it, you know, not even trying to be, to get anything. You know, when you're, when, when you're, that's what's gets so, so uh, tricky is when you're trying to improve and you realize that you have all these, that the improvement is a means to some end, that it doesn't really work, you know? You just, you're just, you're flipping, you're flipping things over, but the inside is the same, you know? You're still, you're still not uh, quite there yet inside, yet you're thinking you are because you're trying to be better. But it's like, you know, it'd be like going to church but on Sunday, but then throughout the rest of the week, you're the most you know horrible person ever. You have to do the work in order to earn the results, and it has to be real. And that can even take, who knows, that could take a whole lifetime just to figure out how to do it for real. Yeah, but I think you're right. There is something to kind of achieving things once you stop overanalyzing not not trying and like just being lazy and waiting for it to happen but once you sort of like 
let go of your expectations in a way. Yeah, that's sort of this sense of succumbing to the laws of the world, maybe, that you just do right because it's what you're supposed to do. Meaning, why don't I just steal money from the job I'm working at, uh, which I have done many times. Like every job I had between maybe age 16 and, well, 19 or so, I would just figure out ways to steal. I mean, shoplifting, things like that. And I got away with it most of the time. Uh, and when I stopped doing that initially, well, a big part of it was getting mugged. I thought it wasn't even so much I thought that was retribution, some kind of karma playing out. I thought it really feels bad when people take your stuff. So I said, I don't want to take people's stuff that isn't mine anymore. But even if you could get away from with with with, with stealing, there's something that you just decide not to do it because that's just not what you're supposed to do on some very instinctual level. Uh, and it's strange because you almost look around and you feel like you're missing out because everyone else is figuring out ways, maybe not literally to steal out of the cash register, but figuring out ways to sort of do versions of that. Like Wall Street, like any of that oh, stuff. Oh gosh, I mean, that, I mean, yes, like it's very frustrating because you feel like, why don't these people have to do it? And then you just let go of that and you say, it's not my business to even, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It would be like someone figuring out a way to not breathe and still somehow live in some weird version of uh, of a human being that doesn't breathe or doesn't drink water. And then you realize, well, they can do whatever they want. I have to breathe. I have to drink water. I have to figure out ways to not hate people, uh, including the people that, that figured out these ways to not breathe or drink water because it's what I'm meant to do. It's accepting your fate almost as a human and then realizing that these qualities like trying to be nicer – are as, as elemental to survival as drinking water. Yeah, it's crazy how simple all these concepts sound and how much work it kind of takes to sort of actualize them. The reason it's so hard, I think, is because of how much of the world is set up about not doing it. And that is where the, most of the temptation lies. That's why it's so easy to not do it. That's why it's so hard to do it. It's not actually the feeling... Of, uh, uh, in yourself that's giving you all the the pushback. It's that you were existing in a world where these things are not the priority. Um, it's, it's very bizarre. And it's, it gets more bizarre the more you realize, like you're saying, how simple and straightforward this stuff is. Why, why wouldn't that be the number one priority? Why wouldn't, for example, just making sure that we can survive be the most obvious number one priority over everything else, but it's not. Making a little bit more money or profit right now is the number one priority. Now, of course, not everybody thinks that way and people are having foresight and we're going to have to figure it out one way or another. But sometimes the most obvious stuff is the stuff that is left in the complete dust in the back of your mind, you know? Uh, And I don't know why that is, except maybe that we're supposed to kind of like a butterfly or something we're supposed to go through this process. Someone could say, why does God, if God exists, why do they create evil? It must be so that we can have the choice of doing bad things and learn to not do them. Not because God didn't even make it possible. It's like, why make laws at all? Why should There shouldn't have to be a law that you don't kill people, right? That should be a natural thing that we learn for ourselves. And in an ideal situation, there wouldn't be any laws at all. And you wouldn't need to uh, have laws, for example, in some countries to force people to be generous. It shouldn't be, you know, like in, in communism. People shouldn't have to want to, 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 to have an even spread of wealth. Greed shouldn't have to be monitored. You know what I mean? It should naturally come out of our own instinct to not be greedy. And not just because it's generous, but because it's for our own good in the end. But these are very bizarre lessons we have to learn the hard way for whatever reason. It's just, uh, it's, it's how we have to grow, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, what sort of, what advice would you maybe have for people who are listening to this and are just want, I don't know, maybe to tap into that or just feel disconnected and maybe stuck in that kind of mentality of me? Oh, well, I mean, uh, definitely one of the most straightforward and simple approaches to applying really pretty much everything we talked about is trying to eliminate selfishness. 
Try to not be a selfish person. It is the absolute most difficult thing, but it's also the simplest thing. And there's many, you can take it really far. You can do it bit by bit. Uh, but trying to keep that in mind at the very least, that can really have a radical effect. Even just to, th- just to be thoughtful of it. Um, it takes a lot of honesty and it's usually very painful. And a lot of self-deception goes on as to why we aren't selfish or that it doesn't count in, in this situation or for us or this, that, and the other. One exercise that can, is, is, is very frightening but can be kind of thrilling is you just start removing parts of life until nothing is, is left except what must ultimately really matter. And you're either going to be left with just your own existence or you'll be left with sort of you and other people. But if you remove things like, uh, you know, buildings, cars, all material objects besides, you know, things that provide sustenance, then you think, okay, well, clearly those things maybe aren't really what I need to get by. There's certain things that we require to survive. But you just start stripping away and stripping away and stripping away. And you imagine, could I live in that version of the world and actually be happy? Could I live in that version of the world and actually even be happier? Or all these things standing in the the way of a very basic existence. Like when you just are cuddled up with a loved one and you don't do anything, you don't need anything. There's just a pure happiness of just being a loving person in that moment. And then you get out of that and and go and strive and, 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 and scheme in all these other areas. What if all that, that's all that there was, was just some sort of basic version of just being nice with someone that you love? Could you exist happily it's it can be very frightening but these are just different thought ideas the most exciting thing beyond trying to eliminate self and selfishness is that pretty much all what you might call the great artwork the great uh literature um many of the great achievements uh, or the great people that we could look back over time to even the great civilizations they've primarily been interested in the same exact thing life and that used to be the main concern was trying to figure out how to live and what life was about and that it probably wasn't about trying to make as much money right now as you can. It was about other things, primarily trying to figure out what you were supposed to do. And that's a great resource that is just sitting there. Um, there's sometimes, and I've felt this way too, it's hard not to, this assumption that Everyone that came before us, especially if you go back hundreds or thousands of years, must have been kind of stupid because they're not here now (laughs) or because they didn't invent a computer or because they didn't fly or all these things. When in fact, maybe they had things a lot more figured out and we shouldn't always assume that just because we exist in a a, a forward state that we've actually progressed at all. We maybe we've progressed in a very strange direction that has removed us from very valuable insights about what life really is. And and what's so strange, and I was thinking about this in terms of very young people, maybe someone half my age or even a third of my age, I wonder if even they realize with all these advancements we have in science, in technology, of course, in computers, uh, in, in sort of the material world, we still don't even know what electricity is. We still have no idea, even the beginnings of an idea, of what even life is, how life exists. I don't mean life as a philosophical concept. I mean the tangible nature of what gives matter life. And yet we it's hard to even imagine that with all these other advancements that even the most basic starting point is completely elusive to us. And that's not to say that we're stupid or ignorant. It might not be meant to, to be something that we can conceive of. It might be beyond the human faculties to even fathom the true nature of reality. But it's humbling and it's good to keep in mind that perhaps those are still worthwhile pursuits and not just in the scientific way, but in a very internal, more mystical way that there's a lot to think about that is very pressing and might actually make our lives better to think about it. Hey, 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 WK. Hey, what'd you think of that, Brad? Hey, hey. Yeah, it didn't, that wasn't where I was expecting it. To yeah. Go, but that's why we are going off track. Yes, we went off track a lot with that one. But yeah, that was a really cool conversation. Not what we expected from Andrew WK, but 
might be what you expect if you listen to his podcast, which you should. I'm going to start actually listening to it this week. I just downloaded an episode. Um, I think I'm going to listen to this one, Adversity Defines the Human Spirit. <laughs> because, yeah. Oh, there's another one where Andrew McKay talks about depression, manners, reincarnation, and something else. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Andrew WK, thank you so much for coming by. He's... He's got a tour. He's, He's got, got a tour. solo tour, September, October. September, October, solo kind tour. Kind of in the middle of the country in Western Canada. Yes. Um, Ride Fest. Um, yeah, Ride Fest, too. Check out his podcast. Check it, check. It. I think he writes for his Village Voice. I feel like if you go to his Twitter page, you'll see. I feel like Andrew WK is always doing about 10,000 things at once and those, making us feel lazy. One of those busy folks. He's a busy dude. Um, but yeah, so thanks to Andrew WK for coming by. Um, check out all of his stuff. If you want to support this podcast and you like that episode, um, leave us a nice review on iTunes or you can go to goingofftrack.com and donate a dollar or two to help us pay for our server costs. Um, or you can just send us an email and just tell us you love us or you hate us <laughs> or just tell us anything. <clears throat> tell us a secret you wouldn't you wouldn't want your best friend to know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Do. Do tell us. But don't give us too much responsibility yeah 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 don't like don't put your shit on us <laughs> like tell us something but don't don't make us a part of it like because we have our own kind of stuff to deal with right <laughs> yeah if you if you have a magical cure for jet lag slash hangovers email it to me yeah directly you can find late, my but... you can find my email it's not that hard to find people email me all the time you know what i say just embrace it dude just revel in it it's like it's fun to be jet lagged sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, an it's fun. I feel like I'm like just always stoned or something, yeah. even though I'm not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so check us out. Check out all of Andrew WK's activities online. See him. You guys see him live. Obviously, that puts on an incredible show. So um, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye.